Hello, everyone. Just a short note before this episode begins. This episode was originally recorded in August 2022, and today's date is September 12th, 2022, and just got the news that William Klein passed away this past weekend, age 96, and want to just uh, take a moment to acknowledge the loss of a master photographer, a shining light in fine art photography and filmmaking, and brings a little bit more um, relevance, I guess, to this episode. Um, Thank you, William Klein, for inspiring uh, generations of photographers. So uh, without any further ado, here's the episode, William Klein, Yes. Right eye dominant. 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 This is the Right Eye Dominant Podcast. Hello, everyone. And welcome to Season 2 of the Right Eye Dominant Podcast. I am your host, Nick Toro Jr., and I'm really excited to be back at the helm of this podcast. Took a little break after a very successful Season 1, and I'm ready to jump into Season 2 with my batteries fully charged. And I'm really excited to kick off this season with this episode And the subject of today's episode is a great exhibit by a master photographer, which is currently on view at the International Center of Photography in New York City. The exhibit is titled, Yes, William Klein, and it is a career retrospective of William Klein's work, which starts in the mid 20th century, and he's still alive and kicking in Paris as we speak. I made sure that I scheduled some time in my vacation to go and attend the exhibit in New York City. And I'll chat a little bit about that at the end of this episode. But the real focus is that I got the opportunity to have an interview with the curator of the exhibit, a man named David Campany. He is a curator at large for the ICP and also is a preeminent voice in photography writing and photography criticism. And beyond that, just a really great person to talk to about all things photography. But this conversation focuses on the work of William Klein and the exhibit at the ICP. And so to kick things off, I'm going to jump right in. Here is my conversation with David Campany. David, thank you for for joining me on this uh, conversation today. Pleasure. You are a curator at large for ICP right now. Mm -hmm. Um, And the fact that you're curating this William Klein exhibit specifically, I did see that you've done a few specifically for the ICP before this. Can you talk a little bit just about how that relationship grew that you ended up being what they what they're calling you as the curator at large. Um, well, that's a relatively new role because I I 
decided I wanted to be back in, in London. It's complicated and it's to do with the pandemic and the kind of strain that it put on things. But I, but I joined ICP as managing director of programs. So I was to oversee the curatorial program, but also be very intimately involved in public programs, talks, things like that. And also the, um, the renowned school at ICP. Uh, but in any event, through the years of the pandemic, I was pretty much the sole curator there. Uh, there was another curator at large, is older Brilmeyer, um, who worked on a couple of shows. But but it was essentially me, and I was doing back to back to back shows. And ICP has big spaces, and that's a lot of exhibitions. Um, and then I became a curator at large. And so I'll, I'll now do a show maybe every couple of years with ICP. So it won't be every single show. Um, but yes, the William, the big William Klein show, which is the first time we've, we've had a show by a single image maker taking over the whole of ICP space. Yeah, that's the last in a, in a back-to-back run from 2020 through to 2022. Wow. So let's let's talk a little bit about this exhibit. Mm-hmm. Um, so as as far as uh, I mean, William Klein is a titan, uh, master photographer. Um, w- going into it, what was maybe the biggest challenge? Were you intimidated by this? Were there challenges about just sort of the the fact? as opposed to working with maybe uh, a group show or a lesser known photographer? Um, Well, yeah. I mean, every show has its challenges. And and this was the first time we were filling the space with one artist. Obviously you could fill even ICP's grand galleries sort of 10 times over with the work of of Klein. That's for sure. Um, I got to know him Around a decade ago, I mean, I'd, I'd been an admirer and I knew the photographs, the street photographs, the fashion photographs, his films. And the opportunity came up to write the text for the book that accompanied his big show at Tate Modern in London. I think this was 2012. So I went over to meet him and I, and I heard he could be quite intimidating. Uh, he doesn't suffer fools gladly. Uh, but we got on immediately, and uh, I think he could see that I was genuine and I was interested, and I had interesting questions to ask him. And um, I, I wrote that essay in a very kind of clipped, punchy style, very unpretentious, um, that he liked very much. And there were there were another couple of opportunities to write for um, further books of his down the line. But I, but I knew in the back of my mind that if there was a chance to curate a show, I'd, I'd, I'd like to do it. And then at ICP, there was this thinking that we somewhere in the first two or three years in this new space. So ICP has only been in its, its new premises really since the beginning of 2020. Um, the thinking was we should try to do um, a, a big show by a single image maker, perhaps someone who's, who was due a big show in the States and hadn't had one, someone who could genuinely fill all of that space and actually touch a lot of different bases within photography. And that there aren't many candidates for that, actually, to be honest. And, and, and Klein was quite near the top of the list. So I, so I suggested Klein to, uh, 
our executive director. And he said, sure, yeah, go for it. So I'd I'd had that relationship with uh, William and his studio. Um, And then there was a lot of uh, working out of just, you know, just what to show and how to show it and what kind of approach I wanted to make. And really to tell a very complicated and very, and very exciting story, you know, because the, the, the earliest works in the show are 1948, when he's a figurative and then an abstract painter, mm-hmm. goes right up to 2013 when he's shooting Brooklyn. So that, that's 65 years, really, of pretty extraordinary production. And... The interesting thing about Klein is uh, because there are so many strands to what he's done, there are lots of different audiences. So there are people that really love the street photography and the books that he made about different cities, New York, Rome, Tokyo, Moscow. Maybe they don't know the films so well. The people that know the films don't know he was a fashion photographer Uh, The people that know the documentary films don't necessarily know the fiction feature films that he made. Mm -hmm. Uh, Unless you've seen the books, you wouldn't know quite what a brilliant writer he is. Unless somebody pointed it out, you might not know that he's also the editor of his own books, the designer. He's done magazine covers, record covers, (laughs) you you name it. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was a chance not just to bring all of those different aspects of his work together, but maybe all those different audiences together so that there would be surprises for everyone, Mm. um, even if they thought they knew Klein's work pretty well. Well, let me jump in there because I'm down on my list of questions. um, And maybe you can expand on this. I I think you were dancing around it a little bit, but uh, I'm a longtime admirer of Klein. Uh, what new discoveries in the show, like as someone so familiar with his work, Yes, what's in store for me? Oh, okay. Well, you will, you'll encounter him first as, as a painter. Uh, he's, he's born in New York, but he's in 1928, but he's desperate to get to Paris. He's, he's, he knows about the kind of Paris art scene from, the Museum of Modern Art and the other the other New York museums um, finally gets to Paris in 1948 and uh, studies in the in the studio in the atelier of Fernand Leger. Amazing connection. Mm. Mm. And Klein's making figurative paintings first of all. Abstraction is on the rise, and he moves into abstraction. But Leger says. Um, look, William, you've you've come here because you think it's Paris between the wars and it's all going to be very romantic. But maybe galleries are not where it's going to be. Maybe it's going to be somewhere else. Maybe it's going to be new media. Maybe it's going to be architecture or filmmaking or publishing. Just think about getting out of the galleries. Uh, Anyway, he has a painting of his abstract and figurative, uh, has a show of the work. Um, in Milan, and actually an architect says, uh, I like your abstract paintings, William. Uh, can you turn them into a, a room divider made of separate panels that will all rotate? So you could flip around these panels and make different combinations. And William says, yes. 
And in fact, we've called the exhibition Yes, because it's marked by these different moments where he said yes to various Mm. opportunities. Um, So he he designs this uh, kind of abstract panelled room divider. And when he's photographing it, um, he spins one of the panels or his, his wife, Jeanne, spins one of the panels. And so in the long exposure, he sees this abstract blur, the very kind of kinetic energy that you can get when, you know, the shutter doesn't freeze things, you know, time is moving through the, the still image somehow. And it sends him into the darkroom to just make abstract patterns and designs, photograms. He just plays in the darkroom, makes hundreds upon hundreds, sometimes all in black and white, but sometimes he would hand paint over the, the colours, the shapes. Um, and that that led to some of those designs appearing on the covers of magazines and records. Then he has a show of that kind of work in Paris in 54, and it gets seen by Alexander Lieberman, and he's the art director of... Um, American Vogue, he's in Paris for the fashion shows, says to Klein, come back to New York, be a fashion photographer. Klein says, I've I've barely taken a photograph, you know. Um, Lieberman, who's an artist himself, actually says, it doesn't matter. You've got some kind of, you know, graphic energy to you. You can pick it up. So Klein comes back after eight years and says, okay, I'll I'll be the Vogue fashion photographer. First of all, he's making fashion still lights. They won't let him near the models. So he's making, uh, shooting, you know, handbags and uh, jewelry and shoes, things like that on an eight by 10 camera, very precise. Wow. Trying to make everything gorgeous. And, you know, in the back of his head, he knows how good, you know, Irving Penn and Richard Avedon are. Uh, but he says to Lieberman, um, you know, can I, can I have an account at the local photography store? I want film and paper uh, and chemicals. I want to go and shoot on the streets. So while he's making these, you know, very finely honed studio pictures for Vogue, he's making these gritty, energetic um supremely confident, uh, ebullient pictures of the kind of rowdiness and craziness of of New York. Wide-angle lens, right up close with people. He's introducing himself to people. Um, And the images, you know, the famous kind of group portraits that he makes with all those kind of crazy vectors, they come out of these little moments of theatre between him and, you know, people posing for him or reacting to the camera. Uh, so that's interesting. So he, that's a two-track life he's got already. So he's yeah. I wasn't aware that he was doing those that yeah. that, that work at the same time. Wow. Well, literally in the in the in the same in the same week. You know, some days he'd be in the in the Vogue studios, other days he'd be out shooting, printing at night at home, sets up a darkroom at home. He uses the uh, the kind of early Xerox machine in the Vogue office to order copies of his images in 10 different sizes. And this allows him to start playing with layout and he makes a layout for his New York pictures, writes captions, uh, but no one in America will publish it. I mean, the design is crazy. Uh, wasn't regarded as kind of serious photography. You know, this is before, even before things like Robert Frank. Right, right, right. Yeah. There's nothing like it. 
Um, he does get the book published in Paris and uh, in Milan and London, and it's it's a sensation. And he does everything. He does the photography, the editing, the design, the writing, the cover. It's a complete, you know, kind of work of photographic art. Um, that sends him into film. He starts making sort of experimental short films and then documentary films. And then uh, he's finally allowed to shoot with models at, at Vogue. This is sort of late 50s. And he finds the studio very kind of uh, stuffy and unimaginative. So he goes out into the streets with the models and they start to improvise. And they're in, so there's, a, there's kind of breath of fresh air that's coming into fashion. And he collaborates with the models. He doesn't, he doesn't sort of pose them like clothes horses or, you know, ballerinas. They're bringing their own gestures, which are often quite sort of ironic or camp or, you know, parodic of fashion somehow. I mean, he always says he never took fashion seriously, even though he was really good at it. Maybe that's how you get good at it. Don't, yeah. take, it, don't take it too seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, he's starting to make other films. Uh, the, the New York book gets seen by Federico Fellini, the Italian filmmaker, who says, come to Rome. And uh, Klein says, what am I going to do in Rome? And Fellini says, well, if I'm ill, you shoot. So he goes to Rome with his wife. Um, actually, it's not him that's ill. It's, it's Fellini's wife who's to star in his next movie. So they're all hanging around and Klein decides to make a second book on Rome. Um, and things just take off. Um, he's, he's kind of hopping backwards and forwards, moving between you know, Paris and New York um, and just taking opportunities as they, as they come along. The show is full of all of these stories, all these kind of multiple strands, different aspects of his career. I've tried to lay it out chronologically um, best as I can. It certainly tells a story. There are kind of 10 sections to the show and um, each one has a kind of yes moment where he gets invited or there's a chance meeting. And the title was actually William's idea. I said, why do you want to call it yes? And he said, well, I, well, I said yes, you know, even if I didn't think I could do it. Uh, I said yes, because you don't know what it's going to lead to, you know. Um, and that keeps going for, for, for decades, you know, all on his own terms, really. You know, he falls out with various people along the way. You're going to if you're a kind of maverick and you, know, and you do things on your own terms. Um, the fashion work with Vogue kind of comes to an end sort of in the late 60s as, it be, as he's becoming more political. Um, same for many image makers at the time. Um, I find it, 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 I find it just an absolutely thrilling creative life. I mean, I mentioned the Beatles earlier. The only comparison I can make in terms of just the energy and the achievement is, is with them, actually. There's a great book about the Beatles, which goes day by day. Mm. What they did, or, you know, it's like Monday, wrote Eleanor Rigby. Tuesday, <laughs> recorded Tomorrow Never Knows. You know, Wednesday, started filmmaking, blah, 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 blah. Uh, there, there's a good... 15 years at least where where Klein's diary is like that. It's absolutely breathless. You know? Yeah. When was the last time 
he was given a, a major show in, in the States. Oh, well, interestingly, that was at ICP in, I think, 1994. It was a show called um, In and Out of Fashion. So it, it concentrated primarily on the fashion work, certainly didn't have the scope of the, of the show I've done. And before that, you'd have to go all the way back to 1980 when MoMA did a single room show which had just, I think, 15 prints and a slideshow. That's it, pretty wow. much. There's there's been a there's been a couple of big film retrospectives in the United States, and he's had big exhibitions uh, all over Europe and Asia, uh, but but not in the States. It's complicated why that is. I mean, it's partly the place that he left, mm-hmm. and American culture doesn't keep too much of an eye on its expats in a way. Um, but I also think he's he was he was difficult for people to place because there were so many strands to what he was doing. Um, but it's 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 a bit of a problem, I think, for kind of multi-talented, versatile artists. Um, I think people are quite almost intimidated by it, you know, they don't they don't know where to stand to make sense of it all. I did want to ask you that the show that you mentioned earlier at the Tate, was that the, there was a show that was Klein and Moriyama. Is that right? Yeah, yeah that that's right. So the Klein, uh, the Klein show was very, very big and going around a Klein show is quite an experience because, you know, every photograph is this busy complex thing um, and it, it was a big show, and uh, the decision was made to pair it with a show of, of Moriyama. Now, Moriyama is a Jap- huge figure in photography, Japanese, um, is very impressed by Klein's work when he sees it kind of early, late 50s, early 60s. Um, so, so in some ways, it's a, it's, a, it's a generational thing, but also Klein did transform um, photography for, for a lot of Japanese photographers, who, who many of whom have spoken very highly of Klein and have seen the books that he made, the New York book, the Rome book, Tokyo, shoots Tokyo in 64. That's right. That was, and was that uh, coinciding with the Olympics at that time in 64? Well, he was actually, the book comes out in 64. He was, oh. there, shoot, he was there shooting in 61. Hmm. Um, and no, it was a, the invitation. It was an invitation. It came from Fuji and a number of corporations and government. Uh, and obviously Klein really wanted to see Tokyo and was always interested in putting himself slightly out of his depth. I mean, he's not, he's not an adventurer like a kind of National Geographic photographer because where, you know, wherever he goes, he just immerses himself and he wants to get to know people. Um, so he's not skirting around the kind of outside of things in Tokyo. You know, he gets invited into everything. <laughs> yeah, and some of those, I mean, the, those, some of those photographs from Tokyo in particular are just... Yeah. Yeah, so, so really on, fascinating. Yeah, on paper, the Tokyo visit was quite official, um, but 
Klein was soon tired of the officialdom after a few days and started slipping out of the where he was staying very early in the morning. So, you know, his kind of minders <laughs> couldn't get hold of him. <laughs> and, he, and he wanders alone. You know, he goes into like a hairdresser's school or, a, you know, people's homes. He finds himself in the stock market. Uh, extraordinary, the places he got himself into. Met, met a troupe of avant-garde, you know, um, uh, theatre performers. Yeah, some of those photographs in particular are just sort of, grilled into my brain so yeah for sure i mean it it, it, it's it's just remarkable uh yeah so that book comes out in 64 and he's already shot in in moscow you know in the height of the cold war Mm -hmm. again he seems to be slipping away from the authorities to just meet people and and talk with language seems to be i mean he's very charming he was extremely handsome when he was young i'm sure that made a difference and i'm Mm -hmm. sure and a white Westerner made a difference too. But uh, he's the only one that does it. He's the only one that does it in the way he does it, which is 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 never to hide. You know, none of his pictures are sort of voyeuristic, grabbed moments. He's He introduces himself. He's with people. There's a kind of, there's a really interesting ethic to it. And I've noticed a lot of younger photographers who rightly are very caught up with the problems of, you know, the power relations in photography, who gets to photograph who, uh, what are the terms of engagement. The interesting thing about Klein is it's quite apparent from the pictures that he's there with people and the photograph is coming out of whatever rapport is developing. So, So each photograph is a little situation a little encounter yeah it's certainly not just a a passing moment that he grabbed while he was you know wandering through the streets and i'm thinking about there's the photograph from uh the moscow series where the Mm -hmm. young woman in the the bathing suit is hunched over sort of smiling to the camera in the foreground and then the old man uh be in in the back and it's so much i mean i could i could probably talk an hour about that particular photograph but i think that's a perfect illustration of what you're talking about like he was engaged in that scene with those people um and to think that yes he was a westerner in moscow at that time interacting Mm -hmm. with multi-generational people wondering what that communication may have been like and then the social and political sort of aspects of of that that time as well. I just there's that's what I mean. You you go so you can go so deeply into those photos. Totally. And you, what really interests him is is human nature and, and and the circumstances in which people find themselves and what they do and the, you know and the life that they manage to kind of carve out. Interestingly, when I was um, you, you could tell an in, you could tell a really fascinating. Klein's story just by looking at his work in in magazines not just fashion magazines but you know kind of editorial and uh, when I was doing my research I came across um, British magazine from the 60s that had a, a pretty much a color version of that photograph that you just mentioned the one that you love wow so that tells you he's got two cameras mm-hmm. and it's 
got a quick grabbed moment. You know, he's there long enough to to at least swap cameras. Right. Um, extraordinary to see it. I would uh, love to see. Is that in the show? Uh, no, it's not in the show. There, there I is- need to find that photo. I, w- I would yeah. love to see the color version. I'm going to seek that out. Uh, but the fact that, like you said, I mean, just uh, that that wasn't a passing moment that said, oh, here's a girl laughing and smiling and I snap it and keep, keep walking and the evidence that he had multiple cameras. That's, um, that's again, and this kind of leads to, uh, and this isn't specific to Klein, but what I like uh, and what I try to do with this show is like how to read a photograph. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. and what you just, and I, I, I pride myself on having that ability yet uh, just what you shared adds another layer to mm. my appreciation of something that I, I, I mean, I have that, I, he had a gallery show in, in 1981 in Paris. I, I, I think that was the poster from it. And I have that on my office wall at home. So I look at that photo on a daily basis. And I think I know it, or I think I understand it. And now just by this conversation, have an extra, just something else. Yeah. You know, to, to think about and appreciate uh, about, about that particular photograph, but also the, the artist who made it. I mean, there's, there's great energy in the photographs and an extraordinary sense of, you know, just design, you know, pictorial design, spatial design. Um, but there's also a, a lot of mystery. I mean, he understands photographs as things that really, you know, they show things. They're quite good at describing what the world looks like, but they, but they don't explain anything. Um, and so that way that the photograph grabs you you know, in its extraordinary composition and its energy and its emotion um, is a way of getting you involved in, in what is d- deep down a kind of mystery. You don't, you don't really know. You don't really know. And you also don't really know exactly what Klein is looking at. I mean, the amazing thing about eyesight uh, is, you know, you can really stare at a detail. And your eye can move around and sort of take in lots of details. Or you can kind of slightly detach your eye and just think about um, composition in, in, in general. But when I look at Klein's pictures, the, the really extraordinary ones, I, I actually don't know how he's doing it. Because mm. photography is a really physiological thing. You have to really concentrate and... <laughs> Uh, it's eyes and hands and bodies and movements and reactions and understandings and misunderstandings. And it, it is all happening quite quickly. I mean, there's a, it's possibly my favorite Klein picture, uh, uh, which is from Tokyo. Uh, he finds himself in a, in a hairdresser's school and it's a kind of receding space of hairdressers, tables you know with mirrors and all of their bottles and things and um the hairdress the teaching hairdressers and the and the pupils are all in white and the room is white but you know the japanese so the hair is primarily black and and 
wherever you look in this frame, there is something interesting. I mean, every square inch of it. And in the show, we have a very, very big, beautiful print of it, dark, proper darkroom print, not a digital print. And wherever you look, it's, it's fascinating. And uh, when I teach my undergrad students, I, I give them a, a kind of an A3 photocopy of this image. And I say, you, you have to make a composition from within it. Okay, so you're going to make cuts to this, <laughs> to this photograph. Uh, and they all do it. And they all do it. And they all pin them up on the wall. And none of them make the same composition. <laughs> they've, all, they've all found, you know, like 35 different ways of making an interesting photograph out of this one photograph. It's a great lesson for, a, for an undergrad. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's just the miracle that all of these compositions are within this one shot that he's, that he's managed to take. I mean, late, later when he's making films, uh, they're unmistakably his, you know, just in terms of what they look like and how he composes. But now that now they're on the move, <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Chris Marker, his friend who helped him get his book published, Chris Marker was a writer and a filmmaker. Marker said, "You can you can stop a Klein movie anywhere, and you have a Klein photograph." You know, so there are tens of thousands more. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> more Klein right. pictures. Look at the movies. Well, and and you're 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 bringing up uh, sort of the, the 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 correlation between still photography and and moving pictures, uh, yeah. film, um, and I do think in my mind, uh, Klein and Robert Frank are sort of uh, there. There's a, a lot of common ground there. The fact that I know that the you know Frank supposedly walked away from still photography and immersed himself in, in, in filmmaking. We, we know that he never stopped making uh, still imagery. Uh, And in some ways, uh, and this is kind of just uh, happening in my brain right now, but the correlation between that and then applying paint or writing on top of photographs, Klein and and Frank's doing the, the, the same thing or collage work. Um, the book as the the format to uh, present work, uh, right? I mean, there's oh, a there, lot, a lot there. there. And there are some there are some extraordinary parallels. For example, they were both commissioned to photograph the same society ball in New York in 1955, and one of uh, Klein's pictures is in his New York book, and one of Robert Frank's from the same evening is in the Americans. I've can, I, can I stop you there for a second? I'm just imagining like being at an event with those two guys. I know. I know. Right? It's, it's extraordinary. And I have heard, although I've not seen it, so I've not, I can't confirm it, that in uh, Robert Frank's contact sheets of that night, you can see Klein. Oh. Klein is in one of the pictures. Isn't that extraordinary? That's fantastic. I mean, uh, Klein never had the kind of melancholy of Frank. I mean, there's an there's an anger and bitterness in them both, in a way, and they both have a very testy, complicated relationship to the U.S. and particularly to New York. You know, Frank is Swiss, 
comes to New York in 47 or they, something they, like they, that. They, 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 <laughs> Klein, Le- Klein leaves, Frank. Klein leaves. Klein, Klein, Le- Klein leaves for Europe, yeah, and then only comes back in, in 54, 55, and that's that's at the same time that Frank is Frank is shooting um, uh, for the Americans. Um, Klein gets his book published first, so Klein's, Klein's uh, book on New York comes out in 56, and not in America, although it gets imported. You can buy it, but no American publisher would touch it. Um, Frank's book also gets published first in Europe as Les Américains in, in Paris and in 58 and then in 59 in New York. So, no, the, 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 and you're right, the, the collage and the kind of writing over images and uh, the switching backwards and forwards between the still and the moving, for sure. I mean, in terms of their fascination with the the media that they're using and their exploration, all kinds of parallels. I, I think as personalities, they're very, very different, very, very different um, temperaments, you know, dispositions. Um, I think there was more of an appetite for, uh, certainly in the US, for, for Frank's disposition more than Klein's at the time. I think maybe it would have been different if Klein was around more in the in the states. Uh, well, that's interesting because then I think about you know Frank being in my mind you know like an element of the Beat Generation and and associating with Kerouac and Ginsburg and then sort of uh, I for some reason don't see Klein engaged in that kind of milieu in the same way. No, it's not romantic. It has more to do with um, the kind of anarchy of Dadaism and then the kind of critical irony of pop, pop art. I mean, interestingly, his very first film, which is 1958, called Broadway by Light, he he shoots the, the lights of Broadway, you know, the kind of neon and the kind of light bulbs and the flashing and... And just makes a kind of non-narrative sort of collage movie out of it. Um, cuts cuts the film in Paris, has a soundtrack um, recorded for it. He's got the first print uh, pretty much under his arm on the boat on the way back to New York. On the boat, he sees Orson Welles, kind of collars Orson Welles and... and says, I've just shot my, you know, I'm a photographer, I've made a book, uh, I've just, I've been shooting in Rome and, you know, fashion photographer. Uh, I've got this film, can I show you my film? He knows that there's a little um, screening room, little cinema on the boat. Anyway, so they, he gets to screen his very first film to Wells <laughs> and Wells says, this is the first film that really needed to be in colour. So Wells hadn't made a colour film at that point. Interesting. And now that film is regarded as the first pop movie, mm. you know, very early piece of kind of pop art, 1958. Yeah, that's a very different sensibility to 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 Robert Frank for sure. Um, I mean, I'm sure you could edit the two of them in a certain way to draw out to make them seem 
super similar. I mean, I'm struck as much by the differences as the oh, similar. Uh, yeah, of course, of course. And 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 the yeah, and and just through these this sort of exchange that we're having, thinking about the sensibility, the the you know, the, like you said, the the sort of the the lack of a better term, the sourness of 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 Frank's eyes, yeah. but also the thought of a, a, a Swiss artist coming to America as opposed to an American artist going to Paris. And yeah. the, then you think about the, the differences between the center of the art world at that time, you know, the history of Paris, the history of it versus the now-ness of New York. Oh. There, you know, I mean, there are similarities, but then you can you find, like you said, you could probably find as many differences um, yeah. to, to yeah. To them as individuals and as artists and the, the work they produced. For sure. And they're, they're both very uh, restless characters in their own way. Um, but but Frank is more Frank is more alienated and a, a sort of a loner. You know, there are close people around him, but Klein really thrives on a kind of a, a energy of of people um he's he's not he's not so fearful of them or circumspect um so he's more likely to throw himself into the world so of course, so of course yeah that you know he makes the new york book and frank makes the americans but then with klein there are more books to come you know mm -hmm. it, that's just the beginning of this enormous you know kind of fountain of <laughs> right invention the the fact that i mean really you've got new york You've got Paris, you've got Rome, you've got Moscow, you've got yeah. Tokyo. I mean, like Klein, and I don't know if this was an intentional sort of, uh, I mean, you look at the major cities of the world during the time yeah. that he was shooting, yeah. and he is there. Um, did, was that, I mean, it, it seems like uh, a lot of what you said earlier, opportunities are, are presented and he says yes and he yeah. and he goes but it seems in hindsight was there some kind of agenda to that i mean the fact that like he's created these bodies of work so specific to those places yeah there's a couple of things to say about that i think the one perhaps the one missing book would be um the work he made in in various West African countries in, in 63. Um, so, so bear in mind, he, he already has this interest in, in black life and black experience and the, the feeling of racism within New York is kind of palpable in that book. I'm sure that's partly why it doesn't get published in America. Um, there are extraordinary pictures, um, particularly in Dakar, Senegal, in, in in 63. Um, some of those pictures appeared in magazines. Mo very few of them were published, colour, black and white. Um, I'm sure one day there will be a book of that work. I've noticed Howard Greenberg is, is showing images that have never been, Howard Greenberg Gallery in New York is showing images from 63 in Africa that have never been seen before. Are, are photos from that period in, in the show that you curated? Uh, there, there are, there are a few, okay. um, there's one extraordinary one, uh, from independence day in 63 in, in Dakar, 
um, it, actually, it's a telephoto shot, which shot with what's called a mirror lens. It's, it's just to do with the way that it handles shallow focus. It's a beautiful effect um, of these parading women in green dresses and men in red behind them. It's an incredibly vivid, strong image. And uh, I actually show it three ways uh, in the exhibition. You, you see it on the page of the Weekend Telegraph magazine, British magazine that published it. You see a beautiful cibachrome print. That's that's a print where you make a, a, an image from a positive transparency, not a, not a negative. So it's very, very saturated colours. And we also have it as a um, the same image kind of blown up as a kind of wallpaper print, very, very large. So the women in the picture are actually kind of life scale. So you just almost get a sense of being there that's that's one answer to the to the question the other one i mean it's interesting you mentioned paris and of course he lived in paris from uh, 48 and and still lives there to this day he avoided doing a paris book for for years and years and years and um, finally i mean he shot in paris um politicians, parades, demonstrations, sporting events, fashion, you name it. Um, and then an offer came, would you like to do a book about Paris in, in the early 2000s, I think around 2003. And he had enough images from the previous decades to just put a book together, you know, out of his archive. But no, there are some of those pictures. He goes, he goes back into the street. So he's already 65 at this point. He spends days with um, some Maghreb women who are um, fighting for housing rights in the center of Paris. You know, Paris was undergoing this enormous gentrification, kind of purging of it. You know, it's a kind of very rich white center now and uh, awful, really. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he does publish a book, but he writes in it about having been put off doing a book about Paris, because whenever he picked up a book about Paris, it was always, you know, misty, black and white, um, monoculture. And he says, he says, I've always found Paris much more complicated, much more ethnically diverse and tense than New York even. Mm. And he never. And you never see this in books about Paris. You know, you get, you know, yeah, cut your breast on, or you know, Duano, or um, I mean, as edgy as you might get would be, um, you know, brass-eyed pictures of Paris, you know, kind of demi-monde in the in the thirties. Klein's absolutely right about that. And when you, when you look at his Paris book, it, it's a Paris you've just not seen in a in a book about. Paris before right. so yeah sometimes there were opportunities I mean he definitely made the most of them I'm not sure he said yes to absolutely everything and there must have been all kinds of offers that came along um but no the the, the story behind um, the Paris book is is fascinating and it's really grounded in his politics and his understanding of the place mm. I, I I have that book and I'm going to go through it again now with that that knowledge i didn't realize i, I mean thinking back now and it's been a while since i leafed through it but it it does span uh, a pretty broad amount of time i think the images but i didn't know that that was sort of the origin story yeah. behind it 
Yeah, there are images pretty much half a century. I'm, I'm, I'm sure there are some from the 50s in there. Um, certainly, certainly a lot from the 60s of, you know, Paris in May 68, you know, all of the protests and the strikes and things. Right. Well, um, but it, it's predominantly work that he made fresh for that occasion. You know, that mm-hmm. was fi- finally his time to confront what he really thought of Paris, you know, in all of its tensions and difficulties and beauty and fun too. Right. And, and well, and, and to, to think about the fact that, I, I mean, obviously uh, they're, they're, they're a very long tradition. I mean, of photography in Paris since it's really, since it's origin and, 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 but even when you think of someone like Ajay or later than Cartier-Bresson, it's like, even those in their own way just are selling that Parisian mystique. I think of, of it's counter to what you're describing, how Klein was experiencing the city and living there. And now looking, thinking back of those photos in Klein's book, um, it's really, to me, it's like that, that feels like what real people look like and what their environments are like and not, you know, not this sort of, and, you know, an American escapism of like running away to Paris or whatever. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Um, and, and, and Paris kind of suffers from it. You know, every, everyone who visits Paris wants, wants that Paris fantasy. They really, well, really- just as much as New York, I would say, probably, um, you know, yeah. uh, uh, maybe in less of a romanticized sort of, aesthetic way sure i mean i mean it's interesting with the paris book now now that i think about it because if he's publishing that in this kind of early 2000s he's already got the big name right so he so he knows that people are probably going to buy the book because it's a klein book and it's called paris plus klein or klein plus paris right i can't remember which way around but it but it wouldn't be bought by people after a coffee table looking for a coffee table book about Paris the same way that the New York book is the kind of opposite of right well it'd be on my coffee table but maybe not oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> but oh, I, yeah. I get your point and and the fact that it's a sizable book and it's uh you yeah. know but yeah. but absolutely like uh you know I could imagine somebody buying that book like oh you like France or here, Merry Christmas, and what is this? <laughs> that's the that's the amazing thing about the New York book because it has this beautiful, beautiful kind of candy-colored cover mm-hmm. uh, where it looks like you know you've got the the letters of New York, all, you know, all in different colors and kind of multi-exposure. And I mean, he, he did the cover himself. That's like the Trojan horse to get you into this kind of gritty book but the other interesting thing about the books is he's he's never republished them in their original formats he's reworked two or three of them kind of gone back re-edited redesigned you know because he's a restless character but I, i knew full well that there was a big part of the audience that really wanted to see those books Mm -hmm. and as a curator and also as a gallery goer i cannot bear to see you know, a book put in a vitrine with a little, with a little label that says, "Oh, this is a landmark book." And by mm-hmm. the way, you can't 
can't see the paper, <laughs> you can't even touch it. Yeah. So we may Don't even lean on the glass. <laughs> no, exactly. Exactly. So there, there are very, very few vitrines in the show. I didn't want that kind of feel. So we actually made um, videos of page turning. Oh, of great. The major books, and they play on kind of flat screens that are almost like they're very big, but they're almost like lecterns. They're mm. in a slight, and you can stand and you know, for six, eight minutes. Um, you can see the book being kind of leafed through page by page. Interestingly, that we uh, uh, every day there are swipe marks on the screen. People think it's a, <laughs> that they they can control. <laughs> it's not. It's just a, it's just a straightforward video. And I know they've been a real hit because those books are legendary. And uh, very- as I know, yes, uh, as a photo book collector. Um, I know uh, I, I do have the the Paris book and I was just smart enough to get it when it came out. But I yeah. have a weird like there was a republishing of of uh, the New York book in a And it looks it's almost like it was like a page by page photocopy. And it's a hardcover it came out maybe 10 years ago. And yeah. it's not the seat even the same size. And it, it, that to me is about as close as I'm going to get to it. Yeah, that is as close. I mean, I keep I keep trying to pressure Klein and the studio to 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 think about a facsimile of that book. I mean, the, the one amazing thing we do have in a vitrine is Klein's original hand drawn flat plan layout for the New York book, where he's mm. he's sketching each page. Wow. Uh, um, and that that's just a beautiful thing to look at. And there was a, there was a, uh, we had a book festival in the in the galleries, and I was I was showing this on a it was before the show was installed, and I was showing the publisher um, just on my computer screen this flat pan flat pan, and someone and and uh, someone leaned over and said, uh, even that would make a great book, you know, just <laughs> just turn flat pan into right, right, absolutely. Kind of cartoonish sketches of each of the images no they're they're all very hard to find and i i just wanted people to be able to see the book so they knew what the fuss was about and right you know, right not not just why they're so you know prized and valued but why they were so influential absolutely why? yeah yeah so photographers over the last 50 60 years have uh, have drawn such inspiration from them so there is now there there is a book that coincides with this exhibit that may yeah. actually satisfy some of like someone like me who needs to have more william klein in their collection Yes, it will satisfy that. It's very big. It's a very large format book. And uh, it's been a little bit late, mainly because of the, there's a global paper shortage at the moment. And uh, it's a pretty substantial book and we didn't want to compromise on, on the paper that's being used. Um, so that's that's nearly 400 pages. Wow. And it has pretty much the longest essay on on his work which i wrote pretty much as a chronology so what you've heard from me as we've been talking is a kind of is a kind of summary of this extraordinary story and because i'd written about different aspects of his work before um i really wanted the challenge of of just trying to convey it almost year by year Mm -hmm. you know Mm-hmm. Um, so it's got a long sort of illustrated essay by me, and then 
always with William, he likes to he likes to choose the pictures for the book. So uh, and then we work on the sequence of them. But um, it's and he never really makes catalogues as such. You know, there have been various books that have come out on the occasion of exhibitions, um, but they're not they're not catalogues in the strict sense. But it's a it, it, it's going to be the most comprehensive book on on Klein for sure. When I heard about the exhibit, I said, I'm going to travel to see this regardless. Um, but it's just working out that I could, I'm going to, I'm going to land at JFK and I'm going to get on the train and go right over to the ICP on right. Friday. I mean, it's a, you know, you brace yourself. It's a pretty overwhelming show. Mm. Um, there, I, I curated it largely out of the, the studio's inventory of exhibition prints. So I've, st I've stayed away from uh, kind of, you know, seeking out vintage things that are kind of very small or, um, and he likes very dense hangs. So it's so the New York room <laughs> is, <laughs> is, is full on. Um, so, I mean, I curated the show, but you, uh, and we we work with the designer too, but you, you have to run everything past Klein, and sometimes he'd say more density, more density. Wow! You know, basically, more pictures. So uh, they're they're often butted up against each other, very large, almost floor to ceiling. Not always. Uh, the the Moscow room and the Tokyo room are very kind of elegant and a lot more linear. Um, there's a room of the abstract work, which is very, it's actually quite serene and minimal. I managed to persuade him to kind of keep that room a bit more airy. Um, you'll see uh, a whole room dedicated to his films. So there are, there are film stills and storyboards and posters and a kind of showreel of extracts from uh, the best of his movies. And then we have, uh, we've been having um, seasons of his films playing at two movie houses in town. Um, oh, great. The Anthology Film Archives and also Metrograph. Um, so that's a real chance for people to see. I mean, he made a film about the, the French Tennis Open uh, in 1980s, one of Wes Anderson's favourite movies. <laughs> who'd, have, who'd have thought? Uh, <laughs> I, I'm sure it influenced the Royal Tenenbaums when the guy oh, has, yeah, yeah, yeah. He has oh, yeah. the meltdown. Richie has the meltdown on the tennis court. <laughs> Maybe that's that's it's funny true. because yeah. probably that that's where he probably lifted it from. Then it probably is. Clients uh, everywhere. <laughs> I love it, uh, David. I'd like to just thank you for taking the time to talk about uh, the William Klein exhibit and his and his life and photography, and also sharing little bit about your own story with us today. Uh, thank you so much for joining me. Well, it's a great pleasure, Nick, and uh, have a good visit to the show. All right, I will. <laughs> I'll send you my thoughts after. I'm looking forward to being overwhelmed. So, so there you have it, my conversation with photo curator and photo writer, David Campany, all the way from London, England, I want to thank David for taking the time out of his, I know is a busy schedule to have this conversation with me. I also want to thank the staff at the International Center of Photography for arranging this interview and also accommodating my visit 
to the exhibit in New York in early August. And I should just mention that I was overwhelmed by the exhibit. Probably one of the most outstanding photo exhibits I've ever seen in my life. And it was a long time coming. I've been a fan of William Klein's for a long time. And as you can tell, the opportunities to see his work in person are few and far between. So if you are anywhere near New York City before the show closes, I believe it's September 12th, get over there and check out the show. You will not be disappointed. Of course, if you can't make the trip to New York, you could order the book, William Klein, Yes, with extensive writing from David Campany. I know I have my book on order and looking forward to expanding my William Klein library. I want to thank you all for listening. Really great to be back at the microphone here for season number two. And I hope you are ready for more great conversations and explorations of this wonderful art form of photography with me here at the Right Eye Dominant podcast. Until next time, I've been your host, Nick Toro Jr. Want you all to go out and stay well and enjoy some photography. Take care. Today's episode has been a production of RightEyeDominant.art. The music for today's episode has been brought to you by The Comet Project, Yazar, and Spinning Merkaba.